I want you to turn to the book of Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4. And while you're turning, I'd like to ask you a question. In this life you're living right now, the only life you get to live, who are you serving? Who are you living for? Each one of you, young or old. And you look at what you're after in life, what you're pursuing, what's your goal, your dream, your ideal in life to get, to have, or to be. What is it for you? As a human being, as a Christian, a professing Christian, who are you serving? Really, as you look at the way you live, who really are you serving? What motivates you? What's behind your actions, your choices? Revelation chapter 4 and verse 11, we sing this song. It's a very beautiful song. It says, Thou art worthy, speaking of God, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are created. You would agree with me, I'm sure, this morning, if we said everything that was created, when it was created, God said it was good. And it was good because God made it. And God made it for his pleasure. It was for him. Now, he didn't need it because God has no needs. God is in no bind. He's not suffering in any way or from having a need that he had to create a creation in order to have a need. But what he created was for his pleasure. And he created you and I for his pleasure. Now, whether or not you and I realize that and thus live to bring pleasure to God or not, I don't know. That's what I hope we're all learning about and adjusting to and pointing for. But this is why we're made. We were created, you and me, we were created for his pleasure. And the great question perhaps that should come to us is, how then do I, in light of all my opportunities to hear the word, uh, many hours a day to read, study, refine, adjust, how do I please the Lord? And probably a greater question is, I look at myself, maybe one of those 12 o'clock at night sitting on the couch before you go to bed when your brain slows down and Everybody's gone and you got your mind all to yourself. And the question comes, do I serve the Lord? Am I bringing pleasure to God with my life, with how I conduct my life, with my personality, my choice of friends, the way I live, do, act, talk? Do I bring pleasure to God. That's why I was made. That's why I was put on this earth. This is what I'm here for. Looking in a theological book to get a definition from somebody who's made it a lifelong study about these things, one man defines pleasure like this. The pleasure of God is his ultimate aim and end with respect to his universe. It was all made for him. As vast and as unsearchable it is, it was made for him. It is the fulfilling of his determinate counsel. Creation pleased God. Every time he made something, he said, it is good. It is good. And it was intended to be good. Now, you can corrupt it, and man has, but it, originally it was good, and in the end, it would be brought back to good because God created it for that way. Would you turn just for a moment to Isaiah 55? We quote this verse a lot. I want you to look at Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 11. God speaking about his word by which he made the world. Or it was in this way by a spoken word that God created the world. 
and ordered the world and operates the world with his word. Whatever he says is eternally what will be. Man cannot change it. Man must live by it, but God won't make you live by it. If you want to please God, this is how. Now, if you don't want to please God, well, that's your choice because we live by choices. But so shall my word be. Isaiah 55, 11 says, so shall my word be. Now, let's take our time with this. So shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. Would you say it's going to be like this? All right, here's what he said to you and me. So shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void or empty. But what will it do? He said his word will accomplish that which he pleases and shall prosper in the thing whereto he sent it. Now notice, he said what I have said I have said with a purpose, a design, an intended effect. I want my word to be like this. He said, I sent my word to accomplish that which I please. Would you agree then that whatever God said is what he's going to do? And you can get in on the deal if you'll do the same thing, if you'll do what he said, because that's what he's going to do. He said, my word will prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. And he said, it shall accomplish that which I please. Now we have this to know before we get started. We have a book, it's called the word of God. We accept this book as the words that God has given to us to live by. God has certainly said more than what he said here, but what he said here is what he said to us. This is what he wants. This is what he's going to do. This not only tells you what he has done, but it also tells you what he's going to do. And in the meantime, it tells you what you can believe him for in your own life. How many thousand promises are in the Bible? He said that's what he wants to accomplish that's what pleases him. So then our pursuit of these promises doesn't have to be for gain or for greed or for power and prestige. It's just simply I want it because it pleases God for me to have it. He sent his word and he said in his book that it shall accomplish that which he pleases. That's what he said to us. That's why we preach about it. That's why we take time. Some say you talk about the same thing all the time. I hope so. I hope I'm guilty of that. Because this Bible's not about who's president. The Bible's not about who's bad and who's sad. The Bible is about God and his people. Now you can get distracted and you can get deterred from pleasing God by trying to please your buddies and please people around you by being like them and talking like them. But that doesn't please God. It pleases you. It's self-satisfaction, but it certainly isn't divine satisfaction. Because God said, I give you my word. This is what I want you to do. This is how I want you to think. This is what I want you to talk about. Because this is what I'm going to do because that is what pleases me. Remember, our text says, and for thy pleasure, we are created. We were created by the word. Everything that exists was a product of God's word. And the functioning and the power and the performance of that word pleases the almighty. What if we put ourselves in agreement with God? What if we make our lives go to do it his way? You know, Frank Sinatra saying, I did it my way. What if we decide to do it God's way? Will we not benefit? Will it not be the good pleasure of God to do for you what he said? Wouldn't that please him? Of course it would. That's what he wants. We exist this morning here. We exist for his pleasure. Now, how we're doing how we're thinking, 
how we're conducting our affairs on this life, that's something that you have to do to examine yourself. But that's why we exist. A few years ago, we did a study on ethics. Ethics is a study of Christian conduct. It has two parts. It has the principles of ethics, why we study such a thing, and then we have the practice on what is a Christian to do with regards to things. Death, life, the government, marriage, parenting, voting, church. With all the issues in life that we face, there are always divine, proper, ethical ways to do it. And so ethics is a study of how a Christian should conduct his life in all these different ways, in different areas. What should a Christian do? The study of ethics begins with three questions. Let me just say this as an introduction to what I want to say today. Christian ethics is a study that begins with actually three things that a Christian is asked. I mean, things that you contemplate. And uh, this is headier stuff. This is more solid food than milky stuff. Because you have to stop and think about it, evaluate yourself, and reach a conclusion. Because first question is, what is man's highest aim or goal or purpose in life? Is it to have the house, the perfect children, the degree, the million-dollar-a-year job, living in the luxury of life? having it your way? See, the question is, in light of how you live and where you live and all the opportunities, what is man's highest purpose, aim, or goal in life? What are you here for? And the answer is very simple. It is to please God. What if I told you everything else is wrong? Any other way to live is the wrong way to live. That God marks such things. He said there is a way that seems right, but it's a way of death. Man studies God's way. It's pretty confining. It seems to restrict his passion and desire to go and do. So he begins to modify what God said to make it fit his lifestyle. And he changes the truth into a lie. And he has a way that seems right because everybody follows it. Most everybody agrees with Boy, What's wrong with that? But it's a way of death. Because man's highest goal in this life is to stand before God and find out what it is that he's given us in this word. What it is that he wants. What do you want? And that's the choices we make. Any other choice is wrong. Now, what I just said is so politically incorrect that they're going to cancel all my interviews on CNN. <laughs> there is no other way. There is no other right choice. You can mingle Christian truth with error, but it's still error. You can add a lot of good, lofty Christian ideals to your lifestyle, but maintain ways that God must judge, and it's still wrong. The only way that's right is God's way. And the highest goal of man in life, his chief purpose and aim and pursuit is to please God. And he cannot, if he is unwilling to find out what it is that God wants him to do or to be, to please him. I mean, that's a big question. If I'm going to please God, what is it God wants me to do to please him? Well, you better find out. Let us search and try our ways. Let us study to see. Let us find God out and see what he wants us to do. Let us lay aside every weight and whatever sin that so easily distracts or deters or keeps us back. And let us find out what God wants. Maybe you're one of those people that the end of your day leaves you empty. All your conversations and all the things you've done and places you've been and your busyness and the, all the schedule. I still like schedule better than schedule. 
Though I'll admit the British are right about aluminum instead of aluminum. But anyway, <laughs> I think that when you come down to your life, if you're honest and you really want purpose and peace and joy in your life, you'll have to find God. And when you find him, you have to submit to him. And when you submit to him, you're going to have to let go a whole lot of junk in your life that your philosophies and opinions, you've got to get let go of it, or eventually you'll add God to that. And you're wrong again. Folks, there's nothing better in this life than truth. Truth. Because you see, the second question in ethics was the question, then what is the standard or the declaration of what is right or what is the authority for right or wrong? If we're going to say man exists for God's pleasure and, and this is right, this is wrong, what is the standard we measure right and wrong by? You think of this. You're living in an hour in which man on this earth is doing his very best to get rid of biblical authority. From the highest offices in the land to the school books to the educational processes, man is doing his very best to eliminate God from this equation of right and wrong. Man makes himself a God. When he says, well, I tell you, here's how I see it, and this is what I think, and I have my rights, and nobody has a right to tell me what I can do because I, you see, he becomes, she becomes God. You're the supreme being in your life. I don't care what you say. I believe that I have as much a right to my opinion and to do what I think as anybody else. And bless God, I believe if I live my life with sincerity and I live as a good person, I'll go to heaven. Now, see, you had to write that Bible yourself. I remember my high school principal said that once. He told me that's what he thought he'd do to go to heaven. Mr. Reese was a good man. I mean, he was well thought of, liked, and he was all of that. He was the assistant basketball coach and I was in high school. I knew him and I, and I knew his life. And I told him, I said, well, then God was a fool. I said, Jesus Christ was a fool then. He said, what's that supposed to mean? And I've said, you just told me you don't need Jesus in your life. You think being good gets you in heaven. And if good will get you in heaven, there's no reason for us to be here today. Let's just have an opinion or a, let's just form something that we call good. Let's live like that or good enough. And let's say that if you live good enough, you go to heaven. Of course, he said, this is the end of this conversation. I knew that. I knew that when he said that. I knew that before I said what I said. But the fact of the matter is, the authority that we have in this life is the Bible. And how much has the Bible been attacked for centuries? It still is. They're rewriting new versions today to say it the way man wants it to be. There's, I don't know how many modern versions of scripture there are today, which has replaced some ideas and some thoughts. There was a time that you could say, well, that's not in the Bible. Somebody says it's right here in mine. So to see, there's no longer a specific standard for what's right or wrong. Well, you got your Bible, I got mine. Well, they got their religion, we got ours. You know, the Catholics do it this way, the Baptists that way, the Methodists this way, and the Pentecostals that way, and the Mormons that way, and whoever. And everybody thinks in their own eyes they're right. But God said there's only one way, one standard, and one authority, and that's the Bible. And which one is it? Probably the King James. Now, there you could get into discussion about this, obviously. But there was only one manuscript, one text that was approved of, and that was the Textus Receptus from which the translators translated it on and on. Anyway, let's go on. The third question was, is man completely free to do as he chooses? It's a good question. Are you free to make choices? Is there anybody that makes choices for you that determines your eternal state? No. Everybody has to walk his own life, doesn't he? And everybody has to live by his own choices. 
But the question is asked, is man free to make his own moral and ethical decisions? The answer is yes. Therefore, every man individually must stand before the creator. And as Jesus said, this word will judge you because that's God's authority for what is right on this earth. And you'll have to stand before God and answer that question somewhere in eternity and how it works, I don't know. But God will either say, well done, I was pleased with your life. You did the right thing as I gave it to you. Or you'll say, depart from me. You were self-serving, individualistic type person. I never knew you. So we go back to where we started this morning. For thy pleasure, they are created. Our purpose in life is to please God. Jesus said, I've come not to do my will, but the will of my Father. That's the way he did. That's what he said. So when it comes to us, are we self-centered? Are we serving God on our own because we want to? Or are we serving ourselves? Do we argue and debate because of our opinions? Do we seek our rights? We do when we say, well, that's not fair. Bible says this about a man in his life. It said, a man who's in the flesh, Romans 8, a man who's in the flesh cannot please God. That's quite a statement. They that are in the flesh, the word, you know, flesh can mean carnality, meism, Iism, and mineism, me, mine, mine, doing things your way. You add God to it, you can mix it. But he said, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Think of that. Cannot. They that are in the flesh cannot please God. Or God has no pleasure in anything outside of himself. You accept that? Think of it. God has no pleasure in anything outside of himself. He didn't put man on this earth to see what noble things he could do, what noble designs he could make with his life, what great things he could do. He didn't put us here for that. He put us here with a direction, with this book, sent his spirit for one reason among others, for one specific reason, to guide us into all truth, to lead us in a direction that at the end of this life, it pleases God. Let me ask you a question before I get started. If you continue the way you're living, if you and I continue in the direction this morning, so far we've chosen to live, where will you be? Where will it lead at the end of your life? When you reach that end, and we don't know when it's coming, but we know it comes. If I stay on the journey I'm on, where will I be when I get to the end of it? Will it be heaven? Or something else. You see, I need to stop right here this morning. I don't mean stop what I'm preaching. But I mean, I need to take a pause in my life and ask myself the big question. Am I pleasing God? Am I in pursuit of the way of God? Do I agree with God in his word that no other way is right but this way? And does this word bring conviction to my heart? Is, does my conscience bear witness that this word is right? And if it does, do I live this way or do I justify my sins? What do I do? How can I bring pleasure to God? Let me give you a few insights this morning. Then I'll close, give you enough to think about. First of all, this morning, Philippians 2.13, it says this, Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13, for God is at work. You think of the word energize. You ever seen that little rabbit battery? Never stops. Energize, that's not the energizer, but... I don't think it is. I don't know. I know about the rabbit. 
and what it's all about, about energy. Listen, it never stops working. Okay, God is like that in you. Boom, 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 boom. Never runs down, never runs out of power, never stops, never ceases, never leaves you alone. Always in you doing something. For God is at work in you both to will and to do of his, uh oh, there's that word again, to will and to do what? So that, would you agree with me about this? That when God called us out of darkness, brought us out of the miry clay, brought us to him, the work that he is doing is to so change us that the way we live pleases him. That this is the way a man ought to live. That's what he said about Jesus. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Paul wrote that God's purpose and goal with us is that we may grow up into the measure of the fullness of the stature of Christ. That we may be like him, that we may follow in his steps. Why? Because this was the perfect projection from God to us of how a man ought to be and how a man ought to live. Jesus. Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one. This is our goal. To be like Jesus. To be like Jesus. I wish I could, but it's too hard. To be like Jesus. Someday I hope so. Maybe I will if I just try. No, sir, that's no other way. No other way right. That's it. You know where fear and trembling comes into the Christian life, into the message of Christianity? Here. Fear and trembling, no other way is right. This is my beloved son. I want you to be like him in the measure of the stature of the very fullness of Christ. I want you to be you therefore perfect even as your father in heaven is perfect, this is the goal. Now we say, man, mortal man says that's not possible. We cannot do it. Therefore, we dismiss ourselves from such a high and lofty desire because we esteem within ourselves we cannot do it. And God says you have no right to do that because I'll send my spirit to make you the way I said you should be. And if I said... To a perfect man, Paul said at the end of Colossians 1, he said, I warn every man I meet and I teach every man. I labor in this teaching so that I can present to those who will listen and be taught so that I can present every man perfect, perfect in Christ. Oh. And this hour we're in, a generation lives now. And I pray you're the exception. But a generation lives now and say, well, the Bible says that. But, you know, the Bible's really outdated, outmoded, is an old thing. This is a new life, a new way, a new age. And what is said in the Bible really doesn't apply today. And after all, when it comes to being perfect, that's impossible anyway. So we set the Bible aside as something that is impossible. And some heady theological somebody somewhere tells us the Bible is a book of morality. It's not the word of God. It contains the word of God. There are parts in here is actually the word of God, but it's not all of it. Therefore, you can't base your life on everything the Bible says because some of it was added by man. I mean, just do your best. Just try to live as best you can. God knows better. I mean, God knows. And man goes about living in a sinful way with the flavor of error in his life. And he is misled because he has chosen to listen to something that got away from Scripture. And his life is death. As it seems right, because he goes to church, he gives his money, he helps, he volunteers, he does. But he doesn't live the life, he just does things to promote the system, but he doesn't live according to the Bible. 
So he lives in a way that seems right, but the end of his way will be death. And we want to understand how a person could say such a thing about a man like that. And we say it because I'm in agreement with the Lord. Well, we hate what you say. I'm sure you will because the Bible said you'll do that too. I'm sure that all of my right choices, you're going to hate them because the Bible says you will. He says all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. There's a world that doesn't want to believe this because as, as the scripture says, the whole world lies in darkness. They gnash their teeth at what is right and moral. It's just the way it is. Philippians 2 again, he says that God is at work in you this morning. If you're his, God is work inside of you is to change your way of thinking so that you will do what he wants you to do because when you do what he wants you to do, you're a doer and not just a hearer. But notice, Romans 8, 29, you don't have to turn to that, said that whom he foreknew, Paul wrote this, those whom he foreknew, those he also predestined or predetermined that they should live in a certain way, did he? Let me ask you something. Is God able to take a dog like I was? I was the best car chaser in my town. That's what dogs do. Anyway, God can take a dog and change him into a saint. I'm saying I'm his and the work isn't done yet. Hello to you too. But God can take the least of us in this room, the most forlorn one of us, the honoriest one, the one who's made the most mistakes and grieve about, I mean, us. He can take people like us and bring us to himself. And by the same power that made the world, that power inside you changes you so that you are like him. Like him. To be like Jesus is a possibility. You can't be a redeemer and a savior. That's not what he's talking about. But you can live the way he lived because he lives within my heart. This is the way it works. God didn't have an aimless view of you when he saved you. He knew you before there was a world. From the foundation of the world, Ephesians 1 says, God chose you. And whom he foreknew, them he also predestined to be conformed, Romans 8 says, to the image of his son, Romans 8, 29. Conformed to the image of his son. We say, how can this be? I don't know. But it's a process. And God takes something as ornery as us and begins working on it. You try to quit and you get chastised. Ha ha! No chasing for the present seems to be joyous, but what? <laughs> Grievous. Nevertheless, afterwards, when you get the light, you begin to see how much he loves you to correct you. It yields a peaceable fruit of righteousness. It's not as hard now to make good decisions as it used to be. Because it's getting clearer. The older you get, the more you keep looking. It begins to clear up. It begins to form. You begin to see where you're going and, and the worth and the value of good decisions in heaven. I don't need to have my way and do my own thing and keep justifying it. His way is a way of peace and life. And God is at work in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Let me tell you something else he's doing. Turn to John chapter 6. Show you something else that God is doing. John chapter 6. Look at verse 29. For it says specifically there, this is the work of God. Doesn't it? Did I give you the wrong verse? John 6, 29. Does it say this is the work of God? Okay, now, we can say this. This is what God is doing. This is what pleases God. Are you with me? Whatever God is doing is what pleases him. You got to agree with that. This is what he's doing right now. It doesn't appear to be taking place everywhere, but it's taking place somewhere. This is the work of God that 
you may believe. Does your Bible say that? Is that close? Yeah, if your Bible doesn't say that, look at your neighbor's wife because they probably got the right one. All right. This is the work of God that you might may believe. So if this is what God is doing, what is it he wants me to believe? This book, his works, the things he said to act like it's true. That's what faith does. Faith acts as though what is not yet seen, what yet has not come to pass is going to come to pass and it lives like it is. I believe I am what he says I am. I believe I can do what he said I can do. I believe I can be what he said I can be. So I start living like that. Faith is a substance. Faith is what gives reality to what you can't see or the things that are yet in the future. Substance of things hoped for. Faith is the evidence of what you can't see. In the book of Hebrews, it says that Moses endured as seeing him who is invisible. Remember on Wednesday nights, we're talking about your mind. How do you see what you can't see? Like kids, children, adults. We have an imagination, don't we? We can shut our eyes. Somebody tells a story. Sometimes I tell my grandchildren stories. If they're little, they get bigger. They don't want to hear it. But when they're little, I tell them stories. I make them up. Doesn't have to be real good. They enjoy the listen. Because while you're talking, what's their mind doing? Imagining. There's pictures and images. We tell a little girl about the prince charming and the great white horse and riding off and such. And she is in her loveliest, most gorgeous, beautiful state because she's on a horse with him. And they're headed over the hill forever. It's your imagination. God's word's like that. For the picture that God shows you is not doom and gloom and corruption. But it's love, joy, and sound mind and peace and happiness. He shows you that. <laughs> you got to believe it, though. Heard a preacher say on the radio this morning, if I was just had enough energy, I'd have reached over and turned it off. But he said something about, they call it the health and wealth gospel. And I know what he's talking about. He's talking about the health and wealth gospel and all that faith stuff that goes with it. He said, all of that's wrong. And I thought, what's going to happen to people that listen to the fact that God has nothing to say about your health? Nothing positive. Everything's an option. Oh, God could, and he might, but chances are he won't because he'll only do what he wants to do. Well, if God only does what he wants to, there's no sense for me asking him for anything because he may not want to. And if that's the case, I don't need faith. It's up to God. If he wants it to happen, it will. But that's the philosophy that most people have. God could. He has in the past. We know he's done it, but he might not do it today. We live under a better covenant than those folks did, and yet it might not work for us. God may want us to be poor and sick and downtrodden and beat down. When it comes to healing, well, we encourage people to stay as you are. It might not work, and you, you just get depressed if it doesn't work. Don't go forward. Somebody's lying through their ignorant teeth to Christian people, taking us apart from this word. No, I don't believe you can just dream up some idea, and faith says, I'm going to get that. That's nonsense. But when God said that Jesus bore your diseases on the cross and that by his stripes you were healed, and you tell me that's not necessarily so, you are a liar. That's why I nearly turned the radio off, because that's error. And if you can say all the other right things that were said, then some things were, you know, but your premise, the foundation you're standing on is flawed. And all those people will one day hold back from the very thing that God is doing that you may believe. This is the work of God, that you may believe. That doesn't mean set your arms and agree with a sermon. The devil agrees with sermons. The Bible says the devils believe, don't they? They can't be saved. But he's not just mentally agreeing with what a preacher said 
Oh, I believe that. Or reading the Bible and said, I believe the Bible or the, the back cover that says pure Morocco leather, whatever that is. Oh, I believe it's leather. Doesn't take much faith to do that. But get out of your complacency. Let God begin to show you that your life is an aimless life that's added religion to it. And that you're going to die like that and you're going to perish like that unless you make some serious adjustments in your life. Then you get to squirming in your seat because that's the work of God. The work of God is to conform you to the image of his son. Would you turn to Romans 8? I know you believe what I said is true. I assume you would. You keep coming. Romans 8, verse 29. Whom he foreknew, was that you? How do you know it was you? Whom he foreknew. Them, that particular specific bunch, what did he do with them? He predestined God made a determination. Whom he foreknew, he decided and determined that they would be conformed to what? Does your Bible say that? To be conformed to the image of Christ? Is that you? Are you going to be like that? Are you going to be like Christ? Are you right now decreasing as he is Increasing, as Paul said in Galatians, oh, I travail with you people until Christ be formed in you. Quit just talking about it and assuming all of that and someday in a sweet by. No, it's a life you live. You live it now. This is what he wants from us now. To live like all this is true. Because it is true. Because a just shall live by faith, won't he? Because that's the work of God. God makes us right, and when he makes us right, he shows us how to live right. The just shall live by faith. But, and it's your choice, if any man draws back, God said, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. Didn't he say that? All right. Let's ease up a little bit and go to the second thing. Another insight to pleasing God is found in 1 Chronicles chapter 29 and verse 17 and it's about uprightness. Uprightness. If there is such a thing as uprightness, is there also such a thing as downrightness? Well, ha ha to you too. If there is such a thing as being upright, is there such a thing as being downright? You use the word all the time. Maybe you don't, but you know people that do. Somebody says something, well, that's downright crazy. (laughs) Don't they? Well, that's downright ignorant. You ever heard that? How many of you have heard such a word? Okay, good. I never heard anybody say, well, that's upright good. (laughs) That's really upright. But it's a big word. It's a big word. In fact, in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, when they were taking up an offering, which, you know, we, we do that so much that, anyway, they were taking up offerings to build a building, a place for God. And David himself, of his own personal, private contribution, that's beginning in verse 17, David gave a lot. I mean, by today's standards, the gold is over, what, twelve or $1,300 an ounce today. One ounce times 16 equals a pound of gold is worth this much. And so many pounds equals one talent, which makes a talent of gold worth, whoa, big numbers. And David gave probably by, at this time, today, probably a couple billion dollars out of his own pocket. So David wasn't doing too bad. For a kid playing on the harp, chasing goats, he did real good at the end. Amen. But he said here in verse 17, I know also, my God, that you try the heart 
And that you have pleasure in what? Now, would you agree with him in the Bible this morning that the upright in heart please God? God takes pleasure in those whose hearts are upright, that are right and living right, sincerely and not hypocritically. He said, as for me in the uprightness of my heart, I have willingly offered all these things, and now have I seen with joy thy people which are present here to offer willingly unto thee. Now, uprightness is what God wants. Would you look over in the middle of your Bible to Isaiah? To, I'm going to add this to what it said about David there. In Isaiah chapter 33 and verse 15, he that walketh righteously and speaketh uprightly, he that despises the gain of oppressions, I could talk about that, but I'll leave that alone too, that shaketh his hands for holding of bribes, that stoppeth his ears from the hearing of blood, and a whole lot of that's just political talk you hear today. That'd be one real good thing you could start with of shutting your ears to. Of course it is. It's going to be like that forever, isn't it? And shutteth his eyes from seeing evil. Boy, shutting your eyes from seeing evil. Whew. Shutting your eyes from seeing evil? How can you do that? Shut your eyes. Get somebody to drive you home. Just shut your eyes. No, he's not talking like that. He's talking about choices you make. But notice he said here, he that walketh right and speaks uprightly. Let me ask you a question. How much talking do we do that's not upright? How much complaining about politics, about the president, Congress, and all the words that describe that bunch? How much do people sit around and talk and gab about what's wrong and the crookedness and I'll tell you what and the taxes and it's all I'm telling you and God says such upright conversations do you think it's an upright conversation for us to talk like that maybe it's just my conviction of the last couple of months especially just recent talk Getting around a stranger in a store brings up something and you open your mouth and add to the fray. And you go home and like I said, you get home and your days seem like a, a waste. It seems like it's a dead day. Well, why shouldn't it be? The stuff that came out of your mouth, what you're trying to say isn't what God promotes. That's not what God wants. But they're all corrupt. They've always been corrupt. It's not going to get better. The whole world, the Bible says, lies in darkness. And the devil goes about to deceive the whole world. So why would you think it's strange that the whole world dismisses God from their life, his solutions from their conversation, and talks about things that can never be fixed? You can't fix it. Well, that's sort of negative, isn't it? It's truth. I'll tell you what you can talk about. What he's doing. You can talk about the good things of God. You can talk about the efforts that good people are making and how they're trying and putting their faith to work. Well, I don't know if there's not much to talk about. Then put your hand over your mouth. Does the Bible say that? Lest I sin against thee, and there's something in there? Set a watch before my mouth? Lest I what? Sin against thee. James talks about the tongue in your mouth that flops words out. Such a little thing. Oh, but it's an ornery thing. But it's only under the control of your brain, your mind. As we said on Wednesday night, if the devil can get you to think wrong, what will you do? You'll talk wrong. 
So how does he get you to think wrong? You listen to that. Turn on to the, all the programs that talk about politics and all the conservative this and the conservative that. And all about how the Democrats did this or the Republicans are too eager to do this and the Democrats are... Keep listening to it. Keep listening to it. The next thing you know, you're just like them. And you want to get armed and go out and do something about it? Where do you find that in Scripture, saint? What does the Bible tell us to do? Submit to the authorities? Give unto Caesar that which is it. Yeah, but it ain't right. Who said it was going to be right? Give it. Pay it. Some of us pay a whole lot more than others do. There were like $30,000 last year, I think, I paid in all my taxes. That's a lot of money. Of course, we're not... What do you call it? Government, whatever here. We don't get deductions for giving. We don't want the government to give. We're just wanting to have church. If this is where we do it, this is the way we do it. If this is what it costs, that's what we pay. If we go to jail for our convictions, we go to jail. I trust God. Isn't that what faith is? I'm not going to change this world. He said again back there in verse 15. Speaketh uprightly. Do you see that? Speaketh uprightly. Does it say that? You know, uprightness is what it says. It's just being right before God, consciously and purely. Not trying to speak the right things in church or to the church crowd or to impress people. But it's an honest, true conviction and manner and way of my heart. To be right, to speak right. And if they speak not according to this word, back to this word, if they speak not according to this word, they have no what? Now, what if you spend a lot of your time listening to darkness? What does darkness do? It creeps in. It makes dull and dim the light that you had. There comes a day you're not as sure and certain about what to do as you were in days before. Because something is clouding out the word. Giving a little ground. I tell you folks, the devil is clever and shrewd. And I've talked about distractions a lot. But just recently, I've seen distractions in a new light. Distractions. Distracted. And sometimes people, I guess, would think it's very dull for Christians to sit around and talk about Jesus and life and joy and peace. That is life. That is life. That is good. A heart that is right and sincere before God, as he said in Psalms 18 and verse 24, is what pleases God. Pleasing God is fearing God. He that walketh uprightly, the Bible said, fears God in Proverbs. Those who walk upright, fear the Lord. And then in Psalms says, God takes pleasure in those that fear him. Because that's what motivates them. The fear, the respect, and the awe, and the honor of God. Thirdly, this morning, the third thing, our peace and prosperity. Glad I got to this point. Our peace and prosperity pleases God. Turn to Psalms 35. There's a good deal to say here, and I, I think I'm going to save it. But let me just whet, hopefully, your appetite for this point because it pleases God for us to, as the Bible said, to prosper. It didn't say to be rich and famous, did it? Psalms 35 and verse 27. Hope your Bible says this. Let them shout for joy and be glad that favor my righteous cause. Yea, 
Let them continually say, let the Lord be magnified, which hath pleasure in the prosperity of his servants. Did your Bible say that? What does prosperity mean? Two chickens in a pot, a three-car garage? Not necessarily. It could include that if a person had a heart for God and could be trusted to stay right with the Lord with all of that. A lot of people can. David did. Jehoshaphat did. It's not wrong for a man to have wealth. It's wrong for wealth to have a man. In some cases, man controls his wealth, but far too much wealth controls the man. When he's broke, he doesn't mind giving. When he gets a lot of it, it's hard to give. Because wealth does that to man. But prosperity is not just talking about that. This word is used some 236 times. The Hebrew word for prosperity is used 236 times in the Old Testament. 170 Five times it's translated peace. Peace. But because there's more to this than what I want to say, and I don't want to hurry through this to finish this, I'm going to close there and say we'll begin here next week. I'll spend my usual 20 minutes reviewing what we heard. And then we'll finish this because this is an important part. God takes delight and has pleasure in the prosperity of his servants. You and I would agree that I, I want to prosper. Why? Because it pleases God. That's what he said. Then why is it so opposed? Because people today want to prosper to have and be and do their own thing. It's back to that worldly thing. But with God, he said he has pleasure in giving. Doesn't the Bible say it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom? God so loved the world that he gave. That's the way God is. Obviously, the same trait should be in us in whatever way he wants us to give. Time, care, concern, thought, attention, even money at times. Prosperity is doing well. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you will bless those here, those who listen, those who watch, to teach us your ways that we may truly walk in thy truth. That you will, as your word says, unite our hearts, draw us to you, bundle us up in your presence to fear your name. We give you thanks this morning. You brought us this far. You've blessed us. You've opened our eyes to see things in a different way than we ever saw them before. You have made us glad. Now we ask that you would continue to enrich us with your word. For we receive it and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Sing.